Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Psalms chapter 44, verse 23, it says this, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? Somebody say, don't hide. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Psalms chapter 13 should be up on the screen, verses 1 through 6. In the New King James Version, it says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide? There's that word hide. Everybody say hide. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He was in trouble. Least my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Last portion of scripture, still Psalms. This is King David in his moment of distress. I believe this is either just before or right as he took his kingship. And it says this, do not, what does it say? Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you have been my help. Do not leave me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. I've heard countless sermons about being hidden by God. Countless sermons. How many have heard sermons about God simply hiding you? Anybody heard that? Let me, let me emphasize that. See, I grew up in like this gospel movement. So it was like, the Lord is preserving you. He's, you know, we hear these sermons about David being on the backside of the desert. God had called him to be king, yet he's a young kid. His brothers discount him. He's the youngest brother. I can kind of testify to that. He's a little shepherd boy. Saul, uh, excuse me, uh, Samuel, who's a prophet, calls for the whole house of Jesse, which is David's father. And he said, one of your kids are going to be anointed king and I'm going to be the one to do it. And so what they do, he calls for all of his sons and all of his sons come. They're handsome, tall, six foot two, eyes are blue, abs probably, in really good shape. And so they all come to their father's beckoning where prophet Samuel is. And as Samuel goes on down the line, all these brothers, the Lord says, nope, it's not you. Nope, not you. And he goes on down the line. And and Samuel says, is there any other more of your sons missing? And they say, oh, David. But he's on the hillside. He's taking care of the sheep. So they call for David. As soon as Samuel seen David, he said, that's the one. And so the story goes on. Saul, excuse me, Samuel takes this flask of oil and dumps it on David. He anoints him as king, but it's not until maybe 13, 20 years later, scholars say, that David was actually anointed king, which means God hid David on the back hillsides tending sheep to prepare him, prepare him for king, to prepare him for what God had called him to. I got a feeling there are some people in this room this morning that feel hidden that feel like you're called to something much bigger, something much greater, yet God is hiding you. And it's easy to get frustrated in the seasons of preparation when you know you have a promise over your life. So I've heard a lot of sermons preached on that, and David's not the only one. There's many others. Even even Moses was hidden. Moses ran from Egypt. Moses goes into the wilderness, not for one year, two years, but he was hidden by God for 40 years on the run. But God was preparing him for his destiny and for his purpose. We can't overlook the fact that the man who wrote two-thirds of the Old Testament by the name of Paul, who once was called Saul, he was hidden on the backside of a desert, and God prepared him for three years. He was in Arabia. 
It was a total of about 13 years that God prepared him. And God will sometimes hide you in order to prepare you. Because God doesn't do well with promoting people too prematurely. Because if you get promoted too early, you can ruin where he's put you. If your character is not developed. So I've heard all these sermons. Has anybody heard those sermons before? But I have never heard a sermon about when God hides from us. I've heard many different sermons on how God will hide us in preparation for what he's called us to, but very little have I ever heard about when God hides from us. And I got a feeling that this morning there is somebody in this room who feels like God is hiding in a specific area of your life. You've prayed. You've sought his face. You've fasted. You've sought godly counsel. You've gone to pastor. You've gone to your friends. You've done everything that you know to do, and God seems to be speaking to your friends, or he may be speaking in other areas of your life, but the area where you need him to move the most, God seems to be hiding. Does anybody have, you don't have to clap, does anybody have God hiding in certain areas of their life this morning? And I want to go over a few reasons why I believe God hides from us. If you listen closely to those verses that I just read, you can actually hear the distress in David's voice. You can hear him hurting. You can hear him longing to see God. You can hear the desire for God's presence in David, and yet God sees it fit to hide from him. And so there's a few reasons why I believe that God does that. And I'm going to start with probably the hardest reason that may not be easily accepted. But you want to know why I believe sometimes God hides? We don't talk about this anymore. He hides when he hurts. That's a real nice way of me saying he hides when we sin against him. That's like a cuss word. It's a three-letter cuss word in church these days. I hear these movements of talking, talking about mercy and grace. Yes, God is a merciful God. Somebody say God is merciful. God is forgiving. But we're living in a generation where we too easily accept sin into our personal lives, and yet we come to church and we want God's presence to fall. We want revival to fall, but yet we, there is an ownership that we have to take. There's a responsibility in our own personal private lives if we want God to move. Come on, look at somebody and say, well, hallelujah, just say hallelujah. <laughs> God hides when he hurts. You know, the Holy Spirit is a dove. Well, he's likened to a dove. He's likened to a river. How easily are doves scared off? There are certain ministers I've seen when they minister, they're not loud and boisterous like I, I have a tendency to be sometimes. And, and I understand that. You know how easily the Holy Spirit can be interrupted? Just get yourself a bad worship leader. We have a good worship leader. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody hit the wrong harmony or sing out of tune. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost just leaves the room. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit can be falling, but as soon as somebody just hits a note that's just off, it just, where do you go, Jesus? He's sensitive. But can I tell you, he's even more sensitive to sin. The Bible says that God can have no fellowship with sin. And it's not about us when we transgress. It's the fact of we separate ourselves from God. And it seems as if God hides when we step out of his divine order. When I reflect back on what happened in the Garden of Eden, God never wanted to leave Adam and Eve. It was their sin. It was their transgression. It was when they overstepped that God got upset and he had to hide from them. And we do the same when we hurt. We withdraw. We pull back. Now, God doesn't have feelings the way that we do. It's different. But God still the Bible says he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, God has an emotion to him. There is a sensitive part to God. And when we sin against him, he seems to flee and he seems to hide. And this is why King David was so repentant. This is why David was so quick to say, God, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Because he knew the power of repentance. He understood the power of repentance. He would quickly repent because he knew how important it was for him to have God's spirit in his life in order to be effective. 
And in order to be effective, we have to have God in our lives. And if we're going to have God in our lives, we have to live lives that are conducive for the Holy Spirit to dwell and to work in our lives. Look at somebody and say, give God room to work. Now, this is completely opposite. And you remember what David said? He says, do not take your spirit from me. You know, David didn't care even if the kingdom got stripped from him. Come on. There, there are things in our lives that we don't, we don't want to lose. But listen, can I tell you, if there's anything that interrupts the Holy Spirit moving in my life or interrupts it, it doesn't matter if it's a job. Just look, just, it's okay. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that you know that is grieving the Holy Spirit in, our li- in, in your life, whatever it is, whatever, whatever relationship you might be engaged in that you know will quench the Holy Spirit of God in your life, get rid of it. D- David got this revelation. He said, I've got to get rid of everything. I've got to be quick to repent of certain things because I have to have the presence of the Lord in my life. Look at somebody and say, you've got to have the presence. Now, this is completely opposite of King Saul. King Saul did not sin outwardly like David did. Do you ever think about that? King Saul was the very first anointed king. David would be second. David would eventually take over Saul's position. Saul had a clean life. David didn't have a clean life. He slept with Bathsheba, all these different things. He killed his right-hand man, Uriah, put him in the heat of the battle. David outwardly was a lesser king than Saul was. But Saul had a dirty heart, and he was not repentant. So David understood what, repent, understood what repentance was. I have to put anything out of my life that would affect the presence of God, that would affect the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in my life. And listen to this. In 2 Chronicles, it will not be up on the screen, I don't believe. And we all quote this, especially these days. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. Everybody say turn. Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. In other words, I'm a paraphrase. In other words, God will turn toward us if we come out of hiding. Excuse me, God will come out of hiding if we turn from our ways, right? Sometimes he hides because of certain things in our lives, but he will turn back to us if we put away certain things in our lives. He will turn back to us. Most people don't know that the Holy Spirit is a person. Say he's a person. The Holy, listen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God thought he kind of put everything in action. Jesus came and accomplished the work. And then he left and the Holy Spirit got poured out. The Holy Spirit is still in the earth. He's the one working. He's the one carrying out the will of the Father in the earth. Does everybody know that? Where are my theologians at in the room? He is still at work. But can I tell you the Holy Spirit, he's a sensitive spirit. The Bible likens him as a dove, as I said before, but he can be grieved. He can be grieved by our lifestyle. He can be insulted. He can be quenched. You know what quench means? It means to like throw water on a fire, quench the fire. If we allow certain things in our lives, I know people don't preach like this no more. They should. But if we want the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, we have to live lives that is conducive for the fire or we're living lives that are conducive for him to be quenched. How many want God real, alive, and active in their lives? I recently, you guys are, I'm, I'm going to get to the good part. I'll get to the woohoo part in a minute. That's why you start with the hard stuff. I, I recently had my, my niece, uh, it was a family member that came over to stay the night in our home. And she wanted to sleep upstairs. We have like this, this bonus room upstairs. It's, we, we use it as a movie room. And uh, she's a teen. She wanted to stay up there and just, you know, veg out on movies, which I was completely fine with. And uh, so blew up the mattress for her. It's one of those blow-up mattresses, a large queen. And she, she's getting ready to go to bed. And she's like, hey, can you show me how to turn it on, all that good stuff? So I did. And then just before I, I, I left the room, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to say what I feel I need to say because people just, you know, you know, sometimes when you live holy these days, people just say you're religious. It's called in love, not religion. Look at somebody say, it's love. So as I'm walking back down the stairs, I'm like, I don't want to do it. She's going to think I'm just being too hard. And I laughingly said it. I simply turned around and I said, be careful what you watch here. And, and, and most people would be like, you're religious. 
Absolutely not. It all has to do with the atmosphere that you're setting. Are you setting the atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell? People judge me for not watching certain things. Oh, you're religious. Not engaging in certain conversations. It's not that at all. It's that I try to be sensitive to quenching the Holy Spirit. There are times when I'm literally in a conversation, I say things I shouldn't say. I'm not talking about cussing. I'm talking about, you know, you know, you know right when you feel that you shouldn't have said that much. I shouldn't have said that much about that person, right? Or, or I shouldn't have revealed that much information. You feel that check in your spirit. There's literally been times. It's not that God left because he didn't love me. He still loved me. But it's like God said, I'm going into hiding because I can't be in that conversation with you right now. So, but when we live lives that are conducive for the Holy Spirit to dwell, we have we will have God's richness surrounding us and enveloping us. And that's the life that Adam originally had. I preached a message recently called Back to the Garden. And that's what God wants with us. He wants a rich, vibrant relationship. Now, he loves people. He loves all of us. But sometimes God will go into hiding because of the atmosphere we're setting in our home, at our job, whatever it is, in your marriage, at school. Look at somebody and say, set the atmosphere. When I was a young Christian, well, I'm still young, but when I was just a few years in, you know, you kind of like figure out all the do's and don'ts, and it's hard not to do some of those things, right? It's like, it's like, it's like a grind, right? It's like, oh, I can't go here. I can't do that. I can't hang out with my friends because they're doing this tonight. I remember that. It used to be very, very difficult to me. But now there are just some things I don't do because I love him. And when you truly have a love and an affection for someone, you will go out of the way not to break the fellowship. You, you desire the fellowship so much that you're willing to do whatever you can to maintain it. And all the married people should say amen. amen. There are certain things. See, you're not the same person when you got married. It's, it's not that. And it's not that that person, but, but there's something about marriage or something about relationship that causes you to cut off certain things. You cut out certain numbers in your phone that used to be there when you got married. There are certain Facebook friends that you don't have. Come on, y'all aren't being real in the church of God this morning. There are certain things you will put off in order to maintain and enhance the fellowship, enhance the intimacy, because you know that trust is up the utmost important. Into me, you see, mean you can come see all my stuff and I can see all your stuff, and that's where the connection happens with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's a quote that I, that I wrote the other day, and it was something along these lines because I was teaching on the secret place last week. I said, in order for God to get into your secret place, or excuse me, in order for you to enter God's secret place, you must first have him enter your secret place. Look at somebody and say, Lord, come into my secret place. We want him in our secret place. Number two, the reason God hides from us is because it produces character. Christ-like character. There are seasons where it seems that God is moving in everything. I don't know about you, but there seems like God is moving in certain areas. You seem to be being blessed. Everything else, everything in your life is going well. And then there are seasons where it seems like God cannot be found. But you know what I found out? You actually grow more when he seems to be absent than when he seems to be active. Why? Somebody say, Why? Because when he is blessing you, you focus on the blessing. And when he seems to be hiding, it, it inspires you to go after his heart. And there's a level of brokenness, and I don't see it a whole lot in the church. But can I be honest with you? If we're going to have a rich, vibrant relationship with God, there is, a, there is a level of brokenness that every believer must have if we're going to have that kind of relationship with God. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. Lord, break me. Lord, shape me. Lord, remove some things out of my life that don't belong because there is a cost with relationship with him. I was telling the worship team in the back, and I'm, I'm, probably, I'm, I'm more than likely I've said it before, but God's anointing, God's spirit is not cheaply given. People want God in their lives, but it comes with a price. I love Catherine Coleman. She said this, it costs 
everything. If you really want to know the cost, it costs everything, but it's worth the cost. This was the great healing evangelist, Catherine Coleman. It costs something, but it also produces something. My, my daughter, she, she's, she's 18, and um, since she was 12 years old, I would have uh, been telling her, I was kind of grooming her for work, right, going to work. Everybody still believe that when the kids are of age, they should get to work? I don't know about you. Maybe I'm old school. My dad was just about a workaholic, and my mom worked three jobs um, growing up to supply for her four kids. Drank about four gallons of milk a week. I don't know about you guys. We, we didn't have those little bowls. We had those large salad bowls that we ate our cereal out of. So mom had to work, and she worked three jobs, so I have a whole lot more respect. My mom is one of my best friends. Yeah, she is. And I love her dearly for that, but she was a really hard worker. And so by default, because I was, you know, 15 years old by the time I was working, so I would talk to him and say, listen, when you're, you know, when you get of age, 16 or so, we're going to put you to work. And so the short story is, is I started telling her as she was wanting more and more things, you know, when girls start to get a little bit older, they want more makeup and they want jewelry and they want all these things. I said, hey, listen, you know, next season, she was 15. She, I said, next season, we're going to get you a job. So short story is my mom helped her get a job at a, a well-known grocery store that we were local to. And uh, I remember dropping Imar off at that store. She was 15, about to be 16. She was young. She was excited, but she was, you know, at the same time, she was a little upset. And I said, listen, one day you will thank me for the work ethic that I'm about to teach you to have. And short story is she was a little upset with me. She gets out of the car. A month or two goes by. She starts making money. She starts getting happier and happier. And, 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 and obviously she has money to spend. She can buy her makeup. She can buy her clothes, shopping at Forever 21, all of this good stuff. She, she, but I know Forever 21. And so now she's 18. She's going back to school. She's obviously graduated. She has a job. She's looking for a second job. And so I see her. She's 18 looking for a second job and going to school. It was powerful. And so, so I, I thought this to myself. What if I would have enabled her up to this age? What if I would have enabled her? And this is what God does with us. As we kick and we scream, God, God leaves us. That's what, that's, I left her at the store knowing that the workforce is going gonna, is gonna to grow her, is going to groom her and, and, and build character into her. And this is what God will do. God will drop you in situations and seem to be hiding all the while he has his character growth in mind for you. And God will leave you in situations sometimes longer than you want to be left there. All the while, that situation, we say, God, I need you to do something. And he's like, you don't understand, daughter. You don't understand, son. I'm, I am, but I'm using this situation to build my character in you. I am moving on your behalf. I'm just using the situation. You're not seeing my hand, but I'm allowing the situation to be my hands and my feet. And sometimes those situations are difficult. Sometimes those situations aren't pleasurable. Come on, the church says they say amen to that. Sometimes God will put you in situations not to break you, but to build you, to build his character, to build his likeness, to build his fruit in your life so that we can produce fruit for others to come pick from. Amen? And sometimes you just have to say no to your kids. And that's exactly what God does to us sometimes. Sometimes you have to say, no, I'm not paying that cell phone bill. All the enabling parents are not going to say amen right now. I struggle with it too. Sometimes you got to say, no, I'm not bailing you out of this one this time. Sometimes, you know, you just have to say no because they've overspent and, you, you know, they want to cover. Mom, dad, help me. And this is how God is. God will refrain and, and, and act as if he's in hiding. All the while, he's still there to pick you up if you fall. But sometimes he has to allow his children to be in situations and seem as if he's withdrawn just to simply build you into who he's called you to be and to prepare you for what's next in your life. Come on, somebody should say amen to that. You know what I have a struggle with? 
I have a struggle because we live in a generation. I talk like I'm old. You'll have to forgive me. I still am in my 30s. My mom said when I was born, I looked like an old man. She said, you have an old soul. I believe that we are living in a generation where God seems to be only as good and great to the degree that he gives to us. Shall I say that again? It seems to me, not with everyone, that God is only good and as great as he gives to us. And sometimes God will hide from us, refrain from doing certain things for us, just to see if we'll keep serving him. Look at somebody and say, it's a test. Do, do you remember when God told Abraham, I want you to take the promise that I've made to you, your son, Isaac, your only son. He didn't have till he was almost 100 years old. He had been waiting for this promise. God comes to him and says this, and this is all God says, take your firstborn son and I want you to go offer him and go towards Moriah, which is the mount which Abraham would ultimately try to attempt to sacrifice his son. And that's all God says. Can you imagine the three-day travel, what's going through Abraham's mind? I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have been like Abraham. I would have been rebuking the devil. Get behind me, Satan. You're, you're asking me to offer up my son. I mean, can you think about God speaking and saying that to someone today? That's, that's the only instruction that God gave Abraham. So, so Abraham makes his way to Mount Moriah. And then an angel of the Lord, as Abraham is raising his knife, about to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, Isaac says, Lord, excuse me, Dad, Abraham, I see the fire. I see, I see, I see the, excuse me, I see the wood. I see the altar, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham ties him up, raises the knife, and the angel of the Lord stops him and says this, watch this. Now I know that you love me and will not withhold your only son. And you know, he became the father of many nations. But can you imagine that long period of time where God hid his face? I would have been asking God those three days, God, why do you want me to do this? But sometimes God will drop you in a situation, give you little instruction, and then leave you there and seem to be not speaking, not moving. God, where's your presence? Where's your instruction? I'm not getting anything from you. Listen, here's how you stay in the will of God. Just keep doing the very thing he told you the last time to do, and you will make it to your purpose. You will make it to what he has planned for you. But if you stay faithful, you will inherit the promise, and God will show his face again. But he only shows his face when he needs to. And by God hiding immediate answers from Abraham, here's what it developed. We're talking about Christ-like character. Say, everybody say Christ-like character. From God withholding immediate answers from Abraham, it developed trust that Abraham would not have otherwise developed. Knowing that no matter how long it took God, God is faithful to see him through and to eventually get him to the promise. You see, God's silence towards you and I in situations like that when he asks us to do something, it goes both ways. It's a test for God and it's a test for us. We always think as if God's testing me. But it's also a test for God. You want to hear what? It's a test in the fact that it's a test of our obedience towards God, meaning, meaning uh, you and I will be faithful to follow you know, through to do what God instruct, instructs us to do, what his instruction was, without any further instruction needed. But then it's an opportunity for God to prove himself to you, to prove that he's faithful. You see, it goes both ways. God wants an opportunity to show you that he's faithful, but he also puts you in situations and circumstances for you to prove your trust and your faithfulness to him. It goes both ways. Number three, God will often hide himself, but it comes in the form of an invitation. God will hide himself, and it seems like rejection to the believer. God, why are you hiding? Why are you not moving? I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm seeking counsel, but you're not moving in this area. And God will seemingly stay there hidden and silent, but we receive that as rejection because it's our human nature, not knowing it's really God inviting you. 
Have you ever gotten a word from God and then after that he seems to disappear on you or he seems to have forgotten you? He's inviting you to seek him for the next step because God loves to be sought. And you have to be careful in those seasons when God seems to have withdrawn from you. You have to not interpret it, his hiding, as rejecting you. You have to see it as an invitation. Can I give you an example? Recently, it's been a couple of months now, I was really needing direction. I mean, really. Anybody ever really need direction at times? Lord, what's the next step? Lord, what's the next job? Who's my spouse? Come on, all the single ladies should say amen. amen. Well, <laughs> what's the direction, Lord? So I was really seeking direction, and I really needed to hear from the Lord genuinely. And he was speaking in many other areas. He didn't just completely stop speaking. You ever ask him for something, and you're like, Lord, I don't want to know the answer to that. This is more important to me. And he intentionally withhold, withholds information. Come on, anybody in the room? He seems to sometimes give you answers on less important matters to you. Well, that's what he was doing with me. Well, there was a common denominator and a thread there that my life, just in that short season, was like a drive-through relationship with God. You don't know what I mean by a drive-through relationship. It's like fast food. It's like, get up, pray real quick, read my devotion. Oh, come, you guys don't do that? You got to get through quick. You got to get through the prayer quick, get your devotionals done, and then you're on the road and you're on the go. Well, eventually that catches up to you in your relationship with him. And so I'm forced with having to spend time with him because if I don't spend time with him, I'm not going to get the direction I need. And yet he's no longer going to tolerate. He's going to say, hey, I have your answers, but we're going to have to develop more than just a fast food drive-through relationship. It's going to take more than just a little, you know, 30-second prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Establish my steps. Bless my family. Protect me. Provide for me. All things that kind of pertain to my own personal life and personal benefits. He, he was saying to me, you're going to have to stop for just a moment. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm using this situation, your lack of direction, as an invitation to come and seek me. And, and, and so in the middle of all of that, I have a dream. And in this dream, and I'm not a huge dreamer. But this dream was so vivid and so real. I have a dream. I'm in a meeting, and it's with Todd White, and I have, I'm doing no ministry in the meeting, but I'm standing afar off. And as I'm standing afar off, Todd White will not lose eye contact with me. It's like he's staring straight. Does anybody know who Todd White is? He's an evangelist, an abstract evangelist whom I, I, I love dearly. He has, he's, he's Caucasian, and he has dreadlocks down to his back, and but an amazing minister of the gospel. And, and as I'm standing there watching him, he's just staring at me. I mean, not just staring at me a little bit. It's, it's a long, awkward stare where I feel uncomfortable. And there's just, there's an anointing in the dream though. So there's this side of me where I'm feeling like insecure, like he's staring at me way too long. And, and there's this other part where like the anointing is falling. I'm talking about, have you ever seen the meetings where it looks like a bomb hit the place? Where everybody, there's bodies laying everywhere, people crying out to the Lord, people getting delivered, people getting healed, saved, set free, all the rest. There's bodies laying all over the floor and he will not stop looking at me. People are crying and he's falling, he's not even looking at them. And then he walks directly to me after this girl either falls, he walks and beelines straight towards me and he says, meet me upstairs in room 106. We have to talk. I send this dream to an interpreter a friend of mine who interprets dreams. And she said, the Lord is calling you to a secret place. He's calling you to the next realm in him. So basically, the life and relationship that you have with the Lord right now has to shift. You're going to have to seek him like you've never sought him before. Spend time with him like you've never spent time with him before. Because there are areas in my life where I needed direction, but the direction's not going to come unless I'm spending time with him, unless I'm seeking his face. And, and, and so this withdrawal that I felt from God, this coldness was really his way of inviting me into a deeper relationship with him. It wasn't God leaving and seemingly leaving and hiding because he was rejecting me. He's taking a step back saying, I need you to come further because where you are right now in your relationship with the Lord, we should be going further. The Bible says we go from glory to glory. We go from faith to faith. 
We go from fruit to fruit. In other words, your ability to hear God now should be much greater a year from now because we are supposed to gain ground. And that's what God is all about. And this is the tricky part about God is when he shifts seasons. What was okay in one season at that relationship level, next year should not be the same. He puts greater demand on it because he wants more and more. But he won't take more than what you're able to give. But he just, it's like boiling a frog slowly. He just turns the heat up just a little bit more. He'll, he'll say, okay, now you've gone to this level. I need you to come just a little bit further. And he'll stretch you and stretch you and stretch you until he has all of you. Until you come to the place where Paul came to. Until Christ is formed in me. Until I can hear him. Until he walks with me and talks with me. Until he calls me by name. Until I have a relationship with him like Adam had in the garden. When, when soon as God spoke, Adam heard him. And as soon as God wasn't there, Adam knew he wasn't there. And you know when he called out to Adam, and I know we've heard this preached, Adam, where art thou? He wasn't asking where he was at physically. He knew where he was. God knows you're at work. He knows you're at home, taking care of kids, doing laundry, all of those things. But when God says, where are you? He's not asking where you're at physically. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere all at one time simultaneously. He's asking, where are you at spiritually? Where are you at in your relationship with me? Are you in the secret place or are you focused on the honey-do list? Are you focused? And those are important, men. The Holy Spirit said, you got a couple of your own. But he was asking, where are you at spiritually? Where are you at in your relationship with me? You're getting the checklist done. Yes, you're praying, but you don't feel my presence. Yes, you're reading the word, but you don't sense my spirit. Yes, you're coming to church, but you don't feel the warmth of my embrace. And so sometimes God will take a step back because he's saying what worked last month in your seeking me is not going to work well in this next season because this next season I'm bringing you to, this next thing I'm bringing you to is so much bigger and you have to spend time with me if you're going to succeed in this next thing that I'm calling you to. If you're going to be able to accomplish it, you're going to have to spend more time with me. If you're going to be able to take the bullets that the enemy is going to throw at you, you're going to have to spend time with me. Come on, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I went to Brownsville. How many have ever heard of Brownsville? I want to tell you something. This is, this is, this is probably one of the greatest experiences in the Lord that I've ever had, encounter-wise. I mean, when I got saved, I remember hearing the voice of the Lord. I've only heard that one time, maybe a couple of times, but one major time. I knew it was the Lord talking to me when I first got saved. And there, there was a second time where he didn't necessarily speak in an audible but, but it was an encounter, and I'm going to tell you quickly about this encounter. I'm talking about an invitation. I'm talking about the Lord inviting us into something. And so the, most of the congregation has heard this. Some of you haven't. But last July, I, I don't like to travel a lot like I'm a stay-at-home dad. I, I, I say that spiritually and physically speaking. Like, I don't like to travel. I drive a lot for a living. And so I like to stay home, and I felt the Lord there was this anniversary that popped up. Uh, it was for the Brownsville Revival. Does everybody know what the... Can I see a show of hands? Anybody heard of the Brownsville Revival? Who has not? Let me see your hands. Okay. So in 1995, there was a pastor by the name of John Kilpatrick. And he was an Assemblies of God pastor. And he had been pastoring this church for about 13 years. And... It was, a, it, was a, it was a nice sized congregation. They just built a new building. He had a lot of people coming. And he tells a story like this. He was in the sanctuary one evening. He said, he, I use his words. He says, I, I, I. basically he kind of rolled around like a cow. Like he was like groaning in the spirit. He's like, Lord, I have a wife. I have a full church. I have great kids. They're serving you but I'm hurting. And he, and he said, I want you, Lord, and I need you to move in my life like you never have before. I want to see your spirit so outpoured in a way that I haven't seen before. And for two years, they prayed for revival. 
the short of the story is, is that 1995, Father's Day, they call it the Father's Day outpouring or the Brownsville outpouring. The Lord showed up in such a way in a congregation of about 1,700 people got touched by the power of God. And for the next five years, this place would be packed. They would see miracles. They would see signs and wonders. I don't know if you've ever been to Brownsville, Pensacola. There's absolutely nothing to see. Nothing. It's an obscure place. I went there in July, and I looked at the place. I'm like, there's nothing here. And four million people, almost four and a half million people walked through the doors of that building. I watched a video, and they said they filled that sanctuary I think it was 59 seconds, 2,500 people poured through the doors. That's what would happen. They stood in lines outside of this place for, for a half a mile long. They camped on the grounds with tents and slept in, under canopies just to get into the house of the Lord. And they would ask him, why are you here? To experience the power of God. And so for five years, people, miracles, signs, wonders, all the rest. And so I'm here at this church one day. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to go, I want you to, go to Brownsville. I want you to go to this anniversary and I want you to believe me for something great for this church because I do want to, I want another worldwide awakening, but I need somebody to believe me for it. I need some bodies. Come on, how many are believing for a worldwide awakening? But sometimes before the worldwide awakening, there needs to be a rude awakening. And so I bring the staff to the church. We go to this huge dome. They couldn't fit it, you know, the, the, the meeting at this particular church. And so we're about to leave. Nothing really, I mean, nothing spectacular happened. I got a word from the Lord. Some things happened. But I'm like, Lord, I drove seven hours. And so I got to come back. I can't stay till Sunday. I need to leave Saturday early morning in order to, you know, function well. It's a seven-hour drive for Sunday morning. So I told the guys on Friday night, listen, we're going we're gonna to leave really early Saturday morning. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to stop at the Brownsville facility. I'm like, Lord, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. You guys ever been to a church on a Saturday morning? It's 7 o'clock. It's ghost town. There's nothing happening. And so we pull up onto the grounds. I immediately felt the presence of the Lord. Immediately. And so my good friend Joel Salvador, who helps with our media, he walks up to the front door and he says, Pastor, come over here. The door is wide open. It was wide open. And so I'm like, we can't go in there. The parking lot, that big grand parking lot that you see videos of, I wish we had a picture of it. Full of cars. Normally, wasn't one car in the parking lot. We were the only ones. So I opened this door. I just felt the presence of the Lord just, just all around me. I said, guys, let's go in. I start calling for someone. Anybody here? Nobody's answering. I, I go through the sanctuary doors. They were closed. They looked like these old six pair of Baptist doors, those old wooden doors. You guys remember that? You, you who've been in church for long. I go in the sanctuary. The lights are dimmed, kind of like it is in here. Massive sanctuary. And those old bannered flags that they used from 1995 still hanging on the walls where this happened. The Holy Spirit filled the room. All me and the whole team were on the altar weeping. The worship was on. The media tech uh, area, everything was on. Nobody was there. And for the next 30 minutes, the fire of God fell on us. And I got up. And I, I heard the word of the Lord. And he said, I am inviting you to believe for something great in your city. And all that time I'd felt empty, empty. I'm pursuing God. I'm asking God, what are you going to do? You know, Lord, I'm going off of your word. And he doesn't seem to be doing anything. But sometimes his silence is an invitation for you to believe him for something great. And that's exactly what he's doing. I get up off. I wipe my tears. I don't want the guys to see I'm crying. I wipe the tears off. And I turn around and all those Baptist doors are open. And I walk out in the foyer. And there's a lady maybe in her 50s or 60s. I should have said 30s just in case she's watching. I walk out in the foyer and she says, I have no problem that you guys were praying in there, um, but we're not opened. She says, you shouldn't have been in there. She said, I have no problem, but you should not be here. And I said, well, ma'am, ma'am, the front door was literally propped open. She said, sir, that's not possible. 
She said, I just got here and opened this facility up. There was nobody here. I said, Lord. And I knew, it was like I felt from the Lord. He said, I'm inviting you to my table. I'm only, I'm only seemingly hiding and not doing the things that you've intended me to do. So, but it's really an invitation. It's not my rejection. It's me inviting you into a deeper, richer relationship with me so that when you find that secret place with me, I'm going to fill you with my spirit in such a way so that when I do what you're believing me, to do. You have the power, you have the anointing, you have the sustainability in you, you have the fortification in you to withstand what I'm about to do. Because with each level, we hear it, new level, new devils, but with each level in God that we go in, there is a new, there's a new anointing that we need to have in order to sustain those new seasons, new difficulties, new promises. Come on, is this, is this resonating with anyone in the house? And as I close the worship team, I'm done, but I'm not done. I'm done, but I'm not done. Fourthly, God hides because he desires our pursuit. He desires our pursuit. You know, I was thinking about this. God doesn't have many desires. He's not driven by desires like we are. He's not moved like we are by in certain situations and circumstances. But can I tell you what he does have need of? He has a need and a desire. Maybe it's not a need, a desire to be sought after. Yeah, he, he created worshipers in order to be worshipped. You moms know it. You don't need much. But as soon as your kids stop needing you, you begin to feel hurt. You're broken, withdrawn. You, you, you feel unneeded. There, there's, there's nothing more that God needs from us than to be desired. And every woman knows that. And a man even knows that. He, he's the protector. He's the provider. And every man in this room needs to be desired. He needs to be needed. Where do you think you got that nature from? It came from your heavenly father. He has a desire. He has a need to be pursued. Somebody gave an example years ago when I was at a Baptist church. And he, and he said he had this teddy bear. And he was hugging it. And he said, the teddy bear is like us. And God is the person hugging the teddy bear. But once he lets go of the teddy bear, the teddy bear doesn't hug back. And I thought about, God, you truly do love a people who are looking in another direction. While you're all the while trying to gather your people, hug your people, love on your people, they're running to other lovers, running to other pleasures, fulfilling their desires and things that never ultimately satisfy like the woman at the well. But David got this, and we have to get this too. He understood God's love language. As a matter of fact, he understood it so much so, this is the only man in the Bible that was coined to be the man after God's own heart. And listen, this didn't come from a prophet. God himself said, I finally found a man who's hungry for me. A man who's after my very own heart. And, and, and as you search the Psalms that David wrote, I see this common thread. He was a man who absolutely was enveloped in a lovesick relationship with God. And this is why he coins things like this. Early will I seek thee. In other words, it's the first thing on my mind when I step out of bed. Early will I seek you. The first thing that I do is I, I, I seek you when my eyes, will, you know, when they open up, I wipe the sleep out of my eyes. And, and I, that's what David did. And that's why he was named the man after God's own heart. He would say things like, I will awake the dawn with my praise. He knew how to love on God. He knew how to praise God. He knew what made God 
And that was by pursuing him. That was by desiring him. He knew how to get God to move in his life. He knew that that scripture before he was even written. I think it's Mark. Is it Matthew chapter six, verse six? Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. In other words, seek God first and then everything else will be added. Seek God and God will work out the finances. Seek God and he'll deal with the spouse. Seek God and he'll bring you a spouse. Seek God and he'll bring the healing. Come on, y'all ain't talking to me. David understood if I praised God and I met his need, he would in turn meet mine. But God's need has to be met first. His need to be worshiped. His need to be adored. Come on, stand to your feet. He would sing, say things like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall sometimes be in my mind. No, he said, it will continually be in my mouth. It'll be the first thing on my lips. And here's my favorite. He said, like a deer pants for the water brooks. So my soul panteth after thee. He was thirsty for God. He desired God with all of his being. With every head bowed, every eye closed, as I close. Where is God hiding in your life? Where do you feel that he is non-existent? Can I challenge you this morning that God is inviting you this morning? to pursue him deeper. He's inviting you to pursue him in a way like you've never pursued him before. And it's, and it's not even that God doesn't desire to give you that very thing you're believing him for because he is. He has every intention. But first things first, pursue him. Go after him. When you go after him, when you pursue him, he will make his way out of that hiding place and reveal himself in more real ways than he ever did before. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77 977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.